This is Radio Influence. Welcome back to Rush the Field, college football podcast brought to you by Radio Influence. I'm Scott Seidenberg alongside veteran coach and scout Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. Week one of the college football season is in the books, Chris, and it's time to completely overreact to everything that we saw in week one. And the the first thing that I'm going to overreact to is that no one's beating Alabama this year. They are still the best team, the most dominant team in college football. Well, that that is it's hard to argue that. I guess the the point would be that hey, as they go forward, what they're trying to do is build a team that's sustainable. Uh, probably going to look a little different with a more explosive offense. Let's get that defense a little healthier. They've got some some um, some depth issues at linebacker that they can't afford injuries, but it's hard to argue. They're definitely going to be in the mix. Um, I think that that's pretty much in line with what most people would think, and it's still going to be a major shock if they don't make the playoffs, but Nick Saban would call that rat poison. Yeah, well, let's stick with this Alabama story because Nick Saban was a bit of a jerk this weekend, Chris, mm-hmm. when he overreacted to Maria Taylor from ESPN's postgame question about what he thought about his quarterbacks after that game, and then he has to come out and say and call her and apologize, and then after all of that bickering, he names two of the starter for this weekend. Why is he so picky about this, and why does he get so upset when people are just asking simple questions? You know, I've known Nick for a long time, and one of the things that, you know, we, we normally our conversations, well, most 99% of the time they're revolved around football, but there, there's some issues, and I've had conversations with he and, and his wife, Terry, that, you know, he, he people might say, well, he doesn't care what people think about him. That's not true. I can tell you that he does care, and it does bother him when he's criticized. And one of the things I've always told him, and Terry, his wife, have told him, look, if you're going to come off as a curmudgeon and sometimes be a jerk, people, some people will see you as a jerk. You're going to have people that are going to love you regardless, but that's just kind of the way it is. Um, and he completely mishandled this situation. Um uh, the young reporter Maria Taylor did a great job. Phenomenal great job. Question, and, and even and, after Nick Saban said, quit asking, she goes, I hear you. And then she followed up with a normal question. I thought she was a rock star that night. She was She was phenomenal. She did nothing wrong. She did not only nothing wrong, she did everything as exemplary as you could do for the job that she was doing, which is why Nick Saban realized, hey, I was wrong. And, and it's not easy for guys to do that. Uh, and, and he called and apologized and, you know, good for doing that. But, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, he he has known and to have a controlling nature uh, with the media. And in college football, you can dominate a, a local media crowd, Scott. Now, you grew up in the New York media capital mm-hmm. world where they will they, – you, they, you're not going to – those guys are going to come after you particularly in the in the, the pro sports end. But in the college world, if you're in places like Tuscaloosa, Alabama, or Gainesville, Florida, or Athens, Georgia, whatever, you know, if you tick off that coach, you know, you're going to be in trouble because your job, be it at a TV station, a radio station, a newspaper, a website, whatever, if you don't have access and if you're not on board with, you know, yay team, 
then you don't have a job because mm. there goes your sponsors because it is very much community, you know, uh, type. It is not it's not the ideal where you can have your free speech type. And the only thing that gets people on a coach is when you don't win because then everybody turns on the coach and fire him. So everybody loves <laughs> it when you criticize him then. So that, that he's he's kind of in a controlling manner. And, and I think when he does it nationally, he gets exposed. He does that every week to the local media people in Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. But he did it on a national stage on TV, and I think he was wrong doing it. Now, let me say this. Let me tell you why he does it. Not, not he was right, he was wrong, but let me, let me tell you why he is a curmudgeon. Because, and, and let me just, just address the quarterback situation. And I've said this all along. Yes, people, Tua is the quarterback for Alabama, no doubt. But you have to understand something and think as a coach. So I'm going to think for everybody here as a coach. You're one play away from Jalen Hurts being your starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you better have both quarterbacks engaged and believing and preparing as if they can start. And the only way you do that is if – everybody's wanted him to come out and say two is the starter. Well, he doesn't have to come out and tell anybody that two is the starter or Jalen's the starter or, you know, Mac Jones is the starter. He doesn't have to say anything. What he has to do is get his team prepared and get those quarterbacks prepared for every scenario possible, including having to win with either quarterback or both quarterbacks, depending on how the season may go. So it does not benefit him, nor is it right for him to denigrate one of his players because that's where people have taken it locally, and that's where people have taken it regionally in the South is, well, two is the guy. Jalen, just he just can't do it. You saw him in the first half of the championship. That is, that is a negative narrative that Nick is trying to fight because he knows he needs to build that young man up, yes. Jalen I'm talking about, in the event he's got to turn to him. And everybody – including the Alabama fan that's going to be whining if Tua goes down and they need to turn to Jalen, they're the ones that are, you know, saying this, basically, this guy's not any good and he's this, he's that. This All this kid's done is he's won for him and he's done everything they've asked him to do. No, he's not as talented a passer as Tua, but he's got other skill sets that are valuable. And all he did is took him, let, was a quarterback on a team that went to the national championship game. And by the way, put him in the lead late against Clemson. And so he's done an awful lot. And I think Nick is not doing this to appease Jalen. So I've heard that he's doing it to protect Jalen, but to make him confident in the eyes of, do I need to go ahead and, and get him ready to play? As I've said before, what if he named two of the starter two weeks ago and two goes down? Well, no, it makes sense. That, you know, now you're going to Jalen, and my point is, let him compete until it's the game time. Let it play out. I, the way it played out is exactly the way I thought. The way it's going to play out going forward is exactly the way I think. And here's the thing: now you got to prepare for the passing game with all those weapons at receiver, mm-hmm. and you still might have – you have to prepare defensively for maybe a couple of series with Jalen in there yep. in which he got to defend the run, and then you also are preparing him for being able to play because you could make the case that 
He'd just sit Jalen in a reserve role and let him redshirt and go somewhere next year. Well, guess what? He's not going to do that. If he feels that, that Jalen can help him win games in a championship this year, he's not worried about redshirting him. So he's doing what's best for the team, which is to make sure that not only the starter, Tua, who's the apple of everybody's eye, and, and understandably so, and Nick loves him, but he also loves Jalen Hurts, and he also believes in Jalen Hurts, and he knows that he can win a championship with Jalen Hurts, and he might have to win a championship with Jalen Hurts. So to me, I get it. I understand it because, unfortunately, today we can't compliment and say, this guy is better than that guy. They're both outstanding. We live in a world today where – this guy is the greatest of all time, and you over there, you suck. <laughs> well, that's not reality. No, and, I know. And, it's, you know and, and I'm not saying you said, but a lot of people are. Yes. And you know what I've always said, too, is that Nick Saban's the guy who would always make decisions game plan based. And if he goes into a game thinking that, well, the secondary is too good and we're going to have to beat them with the run, you could see Jalen Hurts as the starting quarterback in that game. And they could go with a completely different offense, and you're right. When, when they have different packages and different schemes, they become that much more of a dangerous team. It's why I'm completely overreacting and saying no one's going to beat Alabama this year, Chris. But I'll tell you the team that could beat them. Are you ready? And you know where I'm going with this. I'm ready. Auburn. Because I watched that Auburn game on Saturday, and I love them going into that game, and I love them even more coming out of that game. And I know you and I have talked about the inconsistencies with the Gus Malzahn team from game to game, let alone year to year. I just think this Auburn team looks like a real contender this season, and that Iron Bowl is going to decide who goes to the SEC championship game. Well, I think they are a contender. I thought they were a contender last year. I still can't figure out how they blew that game at halftime to LSU because we're talking about them right in the middle of that discussion getting into the playoffs last year, if not for that. But, again, that that everyone talks about what the, the, you know, the, the game against – Georgia championship. Well, that, that game is more noticeable, but, you know, again, uh, listen, I'm with you. This is a great defense. The defensive front's great. Now, the corners can be had a little bit, but good luck trying to make stick throws when you're under pressure. Um, people will be concerned about the running game. They're young on the offensive line. Let me say this. Gus Malzahn always finds a way to be able to run the football, and this offensive line will get better as the season progresses, and Washington is one of the better run defenses in the country. The running backs by committee is the way I think they're going to do it. I think they can be successful. Um, I think there's some talent there. I do think that Whitlow can be the power to Cam Martin's speed. Um, No, I think this team's going to be really good. The only issue, you say that it is going to come down to Alabama. They got to go to Georgia and to Alabama. And that's tough. Now, I don't think it is a given that they beat LSU at home. I think they probably will. They got to go to Mississippi State. So my point is, you know, and then I, they'll, you got to go to Ole Miss in a shootout game. Is that a game where they're not at their best? My point is, is you look at their schedule and you you give Auburn Alabama schedule, uh, I think that they're in, they're in good shape. I mean, they're, they're probably unbeaten until they play Alabama. Uh-huh. You know, but, but, but Auburn now, um, they not only have to play LSU and Mississippi State like Alabama does, but they got to go to Georgia. Alabama doesn't have to play Georgia. They would only play them in the SEC championship. So, listen, I'm with you. I think that they're one of the top teams in the country. Let's see if they can make it there with consistency 
up against that schedule. Let's talk. Let's stick in the SEC. We'll talk about LSU because I thought Ed Ogeron, uh, his team came out really on fire in that game on Sunday. And we'll talk about Miami and why they should be embarrassed for for themselves and the way that they performed, looking like they never even practiced before that game. But I thought LSU looked very, very strong in that game on Sunday. Chris, what was your reaction to LSU? Were you just as on board as I am with them? Well, yeah, I, I thought defensively, and I think defensively, this is a really good team. I, I never bought the narrative. You know, it's funny, again, the preseason narrative. LSU is going to go 6-6, six and 7-5. Six, and five. Really? I mean, there's no way this team loses five games. They've got way too much talent on defense. Um, they're loaded there. I mean, they are loaded for bear, which is why that game between LSU-Auburn, uh, uh, you know, is going to speak a lot. Um, and I thought that they had – they were a little more talented than Miami. Now, both defenses were good. What we did not know for certain is how good would LSU offense, how good would they be? And I said to even tweet it out before the game that I thought the key to the game would be whose offensive line could could at least get some wins against the defense, the opposing defensive front. And that clearly was LSU. Oh, it yeah, Nick was not Brissett Miami. had a heck of a game. Yeah, and they did. And – Joe Burrow made really good decisions, mm-hmm. and, um, I, you know, I thought they did a really nice job, and they got Miami behind, and that's what Miami can't do. Miami, I, I thought last year, going back to last year, I don't want to say somebody's overrated. I think it's rude, but the reality is they created a lot of turnovers last year, and it led to, you know, the whole turnover chain thing. But but the reality is they created a lot of turnovers and it flipped games around, and it made a huge difference. And when you do that, you can blow out a Notre Dame. Well, it, it gets people to think, well, this team's dominant. Well, they're opportunistic, not necessarily dominant. Yeah. And I thought they were, and you saw at the end of last year, they were exposed against a couple of opponents. They were exposed again in the early part of this year. And I think that has been a little bit of an issue. Georgia fans will, uh, this will be familiar with, Mark Rick coach teams, they will come out and you watch it. They're going to beat somebody this year that you don't think, and mm. they're going to look like one of the top five teams in the country one week, and then they're going to have a type of game like this. That's That's been his history. I, I think maybe – I mean, that's a, it was his history at Georgia. And, and so maybe it's unfair for me to say it's going to be definitively that way at Miami, but I, I study coaching enough to know that, that, that I think that Mark is doing a good job at Miami – but they got a long way to go. That offensive line is not that good. And, I, you know, the quarterback play is still spotty. Look, they're still right in the mix of the coastal of the ACC, which is the weaker of the two divisions mm-hmm. of the ACC. But they are not a national playoff team. I, I don't think LSU is either. But to me, I thought the wrong team was favored and the wrong team was ranked lower in this game. Yep. And I think it proved out right. No, I would agree with you there. And let's stay in the state of Florida because Florida State should be embarrassed the way that they performed in their season opening game at home in Willie Taggart's debut as the head football coach for Florida State. They were flat out embarrassed by Virginia Tech, who I could actually see being a threat in the ACC. We'll talk about them in just a second. But with Florida State first, what went wrong for them besides just looking completely inept? Well, there's a theme here, and we've seen it. I saw it with Miami. I saw it with Florida State. I saw it with Michigan. Um, I saw it to some degree with Texas. Offensive line play, very poor. Mm. Uh, they could not block Virginia Tech's defensive front. Bud Foster, 
It's one of the best defensive coordinators we've seen. He's he's, he's a tremendous. savant. He's 37 years <laughs> doing this. He is great. Uh, he's got some key pieces. There's some years where they're better than others, and that's just relative to do they have a few more playmakers. I thought they had a great game plan. I thought that they kept Miami off balance, uh, Florida State off balance. They did not have any protection answer, uh, and they got behind and it got worse. It, let me say this. Um, I, I don't want to scare people. I don't want to be rude on this, but my feeling on the hire when, when I know Florida State was – their target was Willie Taggart. Willie's a great recruiter. Um, you go back to Western Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You go to South Florida. You go to the one year at Oregon. His teams – have never been what I would call very well prepared, nor do they really adjust well in games. So it's going to be imperative that that administration and Willie hire well and he delegate well. They're, they're going to have to do what Clemson has done under Dabble Sweeney. Dabble's not a great X's and O guy. He delegates and he, hire, he hires well and he delegates. Mm-hmm. And they've been, well, is, is at the highest level. Florida State will definitely take a backseat in terms of on-field coaching from what they're used to with Jimbo Fisher. I know last year Jimbo kind of checked out on them, but the reality is they they got a ways to go. They will get better this year, but they're too talented not to. But I don't see them catching Clemson anytime soon until they make some of these adjustments. So let's keep an eye out on it. The other thing that I would say for the don't react, overreact if you're a Seminole fan is it is the first game. Yes. It is a new system. There's a lot of uncertainty. You're dealing in a case of Virginia Tech where you got guys that have been in the program for a while. Justin Fuente's new, but he had some, some you know adjustments on the offensive side last year. Defensively, these kids have been in that system. Florida State hasn't. So – Expect Florida State to get better. Expect them to have a good year. I'm just saying as it relates to a championship-caliber team, I think that they'll fall short, and I'm not talking this year. I'm Uh talking down the road until they can figure out that right template to put those right. Maybe they're there. Maybe they're not. But he's going to have to delegate more because a lot of it is very gimmicky, very easy to diagnose, and not real sound, and making mistakes that like they made last night will knock you down and get you a loss or two every year. Quite frankly, it's a lot of what, just to give you some hope out there, Florida State fans, it's a lot of the negativity that took place with Dabo Sweeney for years. Hmm. So I'm not saying, hey, Willie Taggart, not the answer. Boy, you screwed up. No, what I'm saying is pointing out there is a deficiency, just like there is with players. Dabble had to make some adjustments because, you know, the whole term, the Clemsoning term that, that he hates <laughs> now, that was a real thing for a while. It still kind of creeps in with the pit loss and the Syracuse loss, but it's less and less of a thing. Willie's going to have to 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 address this, and it may not be to the offseason, but it's something that I'm very uh, curious to watch going forward. Let's shift our focus to the Big Ten, Chris, where Michigan goes to Notre Dame. And before that game, or in the days leading up to that game, Notre Dame was a one-point favorite. By the time the game kicked off, they were two-and-a-half-point underdogs. And I never understand this. Actually, I do understand it, but I don't get it. Every single season, there's so much hype behind Michigan, and it's because they have a huge alumni base. 
an affluent alumni base. They're a national brand. They have a very famous head coach. And people flood Vegas with money to bet on Michigan. They do not deserve to be this highly ranked. They do not deserve to be favored on the road at Notre Dame. They do not deserve the hype behind them because they are not as good as some of the other teams in these Power 5 conferences, including Notre Dame, the Independent. I did not think for one second that Michigan was going to go into Notre Dame Stadium and win that game. I thought Brandon Wimbush, with the combination of his arm and his legs, provided too much for that Michigan defense, and if if Rashawn Gary was not going to get any penetration up the middle, then Notre Dame was going to have a field day, and that's exactly what happened. I don't get all the love for Michigan. I think they're completely overrated, and I wouldn't be surprised if they get upset by Western Michigan this weekend. That's not going to happen, but I'll take Western Michigan plus the 28, Chris. But let's talk (laughs) about this game, Notre Dame and Michigan. Am I right on the Wolverines? Well, I think that Michigan, Texas is another example of places where I think people, because of the resources, the potential. In the case of Michigan, you know, Jim Harbaugh was the golden child and successful coach, and why wouldn't it not work? I, it's probably, I would say, I would, I would have to think on this a little bit longer, but I would say in the last 10 years, there's no bigger surprise for me than in college football in the fact that it's the fourth year of the Jim Harbaugh era, and they're struggling this much. They're eight. What and is eight. he nine? Nine and nine. Eight ninety nine. Eight and eight. Nine and nine. Yep. Um, there's no way I would have envisioned that. I would have thought by now it would be Michigan, Ohio State, Ohio State, Michigan. You know, talent level maybe a tad better with Ohio State, but maybe not much. It's not even close. And you know, I go back and to study why. Why is the guy that built a, a Super Bowl team? and coach the Super Bowl team, and build a power at Stanford where it's very difficult. This guy didn't get dumped. So what's the issue? And I've really studied it hard, and I've come to the conclusion that it, it is really about how he's been unable on offense to, through proper hiring, and, and that's led to poor evaluation on offensive for offensive players in recruiting and the development of those players and the instability on that side of the ball has created a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion as to what they want to do and how they want to do it. Pure and simple, it, there's no offensive identity. Mm-hmm. They, there's no rhythm to what they're doing. Um, their offensive line is was atrocious. Notre Dame dominated them. Um, they didn't, early in this game, they didn't make plays on the defensive side. Now, i got to tell you, this defense is loaded with talent, and they have been well coached. They did not play well Saturday night, and I can't put my finger on why in the early stages. Now, as the game went along, you see the the defense is constantly on the field. Well, that's a recipe for disaster, and that's going to have some problems. So it's a bad loss. They looked out of sync. They were outcoached. This is the 17th straight road loss versus a ranked team for Michigan. 17 straight. So, they're, yes, they were completely outcoached. Um, I don't think that, that Shea Patterson was awful. I think that he struggled some, but the biggest struggle was the protection issues. The defense gave up big plays. Notre Dame's defense didn't give up any big plays. Uh, Notre Dame played well in third downs. Michigan couldn't. That was the issue. With that said, let me say this, and I'm not going to pump up Michigan because I don't do it. 
Um, I don't believe in any of that. I think they can get better. I think they will get better. They need to. Um, they need to get better before they get into the late September in Nebraska and then at Northwestern yep. in a Maryland team that's got some talent. And then you get into the Wisconsin and Michigan State. So here's the issue. It's not going to – already I can tell you with their schedule, it's not going to be the the season that some Michigan fans and some – uh, air culture experts thought they would be in terms of a national playoff team. They're not that. You're right. They've been overhyped. Uh, but it doesn't mean they can't have a good year and they're not a bad team. Uh, they've got to fix some things. So internally, they've got to tune – like you have to tune out all the positivity about how great you are. You have to tune out that you suck, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the narrative that's being put on them. And they got to go back to work. And they because they have the ability to play better. Let me tell you, they're better than Nebraska. They're better than Northwestern. They're better than Maryland, um, and they're more talented than Wisconsin and Penn State. So there. Now, what are they going to do with that? I don't know. Maybe nothing. But it is up to them to right the ship, and that's what Jim Harbaugh is getting paid. Tons of money. Yep. And here's the thing. He is not going anywhere. It, it, the only way he's not coaching at Michigan next year is if he doesn't want to coach there because they're going to stand by him and should. But he's got to get this. This is what he's got. He's got to get figured out. And at Stanford, he he hired well. He hit on guys well. And it hadn't worked. Ed Warner is a really good coach. He's got his work cut out for him on the offensive line. But, but that, to me, is where it needs to be fixed. Nothing else, and I think it's an attitude with young guys, Scott. It's, right now, I think those guys don't know how to win, and they don't know how to play in certain circumstances, and that is going to have to be corrected soon, and I never dreamed we'd be talking about that in year four for nope. Jim Harbaugh. When will teams stop scheduling Appalachian State to open up the season? No, um, no, well, I think I think they've I think they have, but the ones that have already scheduled, they can't get out of it. You know, I think the story is going to be who has them on the schedule that's working to to, to raise money schedule. to buy them out now, because they, now, they don't want to do that. Well, let me say this: this is not now. Everyone when when they went into overtime with Penn State, a lot of people brought up the Michigan game from eleven years ago. It's, it is, was to the day. Yes, it was to yes, the day. But this is not the same program because that was an FCS program, a 1AA program back then. For the past couple of years, this has been an FBS program now that is elevated in stature and they've been very competitive in that Sunbelt Conference. So we're not talking about the same type of program that they were 11 years ago. But that being said, you're Penn State. You're at home. You have a Heisman candidate at quarterback and you almost lose as a 24-point favorite to Appalachian State, unacceptable for James Franklin. It is unacceptable. First of all, I do want to give a shout-out to App State and Tim Satterfield. And, you know, it's not like, you know, they came in with a veteran group. That quarterback's starting his first game. I mean, and they're just running down like they're in a Sunbelt <laughs> Conference game on a Wednesday night in the season, and they're not. Playing they, Louisiana Monroe absolutely. or something. Absolutely. <laughs> and so um, – I, look, they're good and they're dangerous. And you're right in your first statement because you get no bump for beating them. And if you lose, oh, my goodness. And they, they, they were outplayed, and App State probably deserved to win the game. Penn State, same thing. I, I'm going to go into the Florida State comparison in this regard. James Franklin, great motivator, good recruiter. He gets his teams emotionally 
fired up for games, and his teams play like it. They play lights out, and then they just have like the airs come out of the balloon. They're very up and down, and and there's just no real consistency there. If you look at them last year, Barkley bailed them out. McSorley bailed them out. In this game, McSorley bailed them out. Um, I thought the true freshman running back Slade showed some promise, but McSorley carried the team. The defense gave up a ton of big plays. They Now, they made clutch plays to survive and win. Give them credit, but they just – they're too scattershot. They, they, they lack focus. And, listen, the defense won the game in overtime, but the defense gave up a ton of plays. Oh, yeah. They lost seven other top eight tacklers. So, and the, the overreaction department is, okay, James, let's, we've got to fix this defense. You replace a lot of guys, seven new starters. Now, um, seven, seven out of your top eight leading tacklers, are, are new, you know, they're gone. So, new people. You make mistakes against a good team. Uh-oh, there you go. You got some problems. So now you better that whole you better make improvement. You better start doing it. You better do it in a hurry. I'd be surprised if they don't play a little better this week at Pitt and then at Kent State, then at Illinois, and get on a little bit of a run and then when they play Ohio State, they're likely to be unbeaten. If they don't get better, then absolutely. Not Kent State, not Illinois, but you know, Pitt could give them some problems, but Look, I don't think this Penn State team is a playoff team. I, I think they're one of the good teams in the East, uh, but I think because of what I just mentioned, that they're too up and down, too emotional, and I, not as steady, that, that concerns me. And I don't know how good this defense can be. Let's talk, to, let's talk about the Big 12 here, Chris. Uh, Oklahoma. Still the class of that conference. New quarterback, same team. Some people think they could even be better with uh, Kyler Murray at at quarterback. Do you think that this Oklahoma team under Lincoln Riley can duplicate the success they had last year with Baker Mayfield? Yeah, I think they'd have to do it differently. But in terms of winning, uh, blew out Florida Atlantic. I mean, Florida Atlantic was – we're not not talking about a bad team now. We're talking about a team that – And and, and you want to talk about embarrassing – not embarrassing, but disappointing. I thought Lane Kiffin would have a better game plan than that. Well, yeah, and here's the thing. There's no doubt that we're talking a different level athlete at Oklahoma. Yeah, The fact that they were not creative and that they had no answer, uh, that was was not very impressive at all. And – um, no, I, I listen, I don't think you can, can let Lane Kiffin off the hook in this game for his team look like it was, you know, completely, uh, completely outclassed and not just on the field, but on the sidelines. I think Oklahoma can be that explosive. I think, again, they're going to be more run oriented. And so they'll do it that way. Now they'll make some big plays in the passing game with people having overplay the run. Um, you know, the thing about the league, and I do think that it's Oklahoma. I would not count out TCU. I want to see them a little more. I know they got Ohio State uh, in a week. Um, that's going to be tough. But but the conference, I think TCU and West Virginia are capable. I do think Oklahoma is the more talented. But in this league where defenses are not great, is you could see them losing a shootout. I certainly could see them losing at TCU. But then I could see TCU losing a game or two. So, I, I you know, I, I definitely think that uh, Oklahoma is going to get off to a good start. I think they'll beat UCLA and go on the road, beat Iowa State. And then, obviously, you know, they, they start the conference with Baylor and, uh, you know, Texas, that's a whole other issue. But uh, I, I do think that they're in a position. Sure, if they win the Big 12, we're going to have to see where that puts them. 
in terms of, you know, that's a conversation for later. How do they stack up among the top four teams? Certainly in terms of performances, that was an impressive performance in week one against Florida Atlantic. You mentioned West Virginia, and I, I love this team. And, and I'm not a fan, but they are going to be fun to watch all season long. I, I've been hyping up Will Greer the entire offseason. I might as well start the Heisman campaign for him, Chris. Uh, they're a team that I'm going to look at for the point spread every single week. I'm going to look at the total in the games that they play every single week. But can West Virginia take Oklahoma in the Big 12? Because those two teams play each other at the end of the season, and that game is in Morgantown. Correct. It's the Friday after Thanksgiving, which... You know, listen, you hope for great matchups, but we can just hope that at least that might be the matchup that determines the Big 12. I did mention TCU, so we'll see where that takes them. But but I do think that it very well could come down to Oklahoma and West Virginia. What I, again, will, will point to is the consistency with teams that are not great defensively. Um, is what if you have a little bit of an off day on offense? What if the wind is a little too strong? What if you drop some balls in wet mm-hmm. weather? All of a sudden, you know, I mean, I'm going to give you a team that's going to be a, I mean, a nightmare, a headache for both of them. And, and you know, probably know where I'm going with this. It's Kansas State. Mm. They can hold the football for, you know, yeah. 48 minutes and you get like three <laughs> possessions in a game. And then, you know, so if, if it may be against West Virginia, um, it, 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 of course, the, that's, that, that game is uh, in West Virginia or, you know, for Oklahoma. You know they they have to go to the Little Apple and actually they get the, they get them in, in Norman. So, but that you know. So my point is is I, I don't know that I see these these teams running the table because I think one they're not Alabama in terms of their dominance and superiority um, relative to who they play. Whereas you know, but I do think they're good and I I think that it will likely have to be an unbeaten team out of the Big Twelve. But I say that right now, just speculating as how the the top teams may shake out at the end of the year. One loss in a Big 12 champion absolutely puts, you know, that team in the race. And it Mm -hmm. very well could be West Virginia. You definitely give them an edge with Will Greer. I like their playmakers at receiver. I like Jennings and Sills and Simmons. I thought Tony Gibson did a pretty good job defensively. Now, Tennessee is a long way away from being, you know – where they need to be, but I thought they played good situational defense uh, in the red zone, and that's going to be the key. And again, we're not talking about stopping people on defense, but being playing good situational defense when you, where you can get off the field in the red zone, and you could you know make some you know sevens become threes, or you know you you get an extra possession for your offense. That's good defense in the Big Twelve, and. Uh, I think Oklahoma's got a little more talent to be able to do that, but West Virginia is certainly going to have a lot to say about it. All right, finally, Chris, Texas was disappointing. I think we can acknowledge that. Uh, We expected more from Tom Herman, but I don't want to focus on Texas and their shortcomings in this game. Instead, I want to praise Matt Canada, who had his Maryland team ready to play in the wake of everything that they're going through with the tragedy that they endured with their head coach, DJ Durkin, suspended. And Canada, a guy who Ed Orgeron did not want at LSU and showed him the door. Well, he's showing people now that given an opportunity, maybe this guy should get looks to be a head coach somewhere else down the road. 
he's I've known Matt for a while. Matt is a very good coach. Um, but but I can tell you, Matt's had some problems. You're right. He didn't mesh well with Ed Orgeron, and a lot of that had to do with the administration basically telling him he can come in and run his offense. And basically, Matt has had an issue with head coaches in the past. Um, he didn't at Pitt, but, boy, he had problems at, at two or three other stops. He was run out of North Carolina State, and he did a good job. But, you know, he is one of those guys. He's, he's an interim now. So are the acting head coach now. I think he's a good coach. I, he may not be the greatest assistant because he may not get along well, and if you don't give him complete control, then, then there's some issues. But he's got really good ideas. We'll see how this can spur them this year. I think they're a little more talented than people might know or think. They've got some weapons at receiver, and I think they're going to be very difficult to defend, um, and particularly in a league that doesn't have a ton of playmakers on offense, I mean they've got some. I shouldn't say that, but yeah. but but they more more the really good Ohio State's got more playmakers than you can shake a stick at. But <laughs> but I mean other teams where it's a little bit more line of scrimmage, Maryland can open it up and cause some problems. So excited to see what they can do, whether they can sustain this. But I can't get out of this without saying, look, that Texas performance was inexplicable to me. Um, Listen, it's not about just what well, they overrated. Well, that's a simplistic way. To, why are they <laughs> yeah. overrated? Because they're Texas. They couldn't tackle. <laughs> right, correct. That's why they're overrated. But the point is, is they tackled horribly. Yeah. And that is just, they got better. They they were awful against Maryland last year. They were worse against Maryland last year. They looked good Saturday compared to what they did in the first game last year. They got better, did Texas. But to show up and play the way they did week one after being embarrassed last year was an embarrassment. It wasn't a real good look or a good week for Tom Herman on or off the field. So, you know, listen, he's not in any kind of danger, but there's frustration already starting to build into, okay, what do we have in this guy? And and let me just say this. It's something that it's 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 a moment for a coach where you got to get guys rallied around what you're doing and start to buy in, or it could snowball. Because they got Tulsa this week. They got USC and TCU and Kansas State and Oklahoma, my friend. This, do you lose to Maryland? Yeah. I mean, and, and now you, you're 0-1. You start playing around. And, I mean, you we're looking at, you know, one in three. One in five, yeah. you know, a start. Yeah. I mean, they could play well and lose to TCU, Kansas State, and Oklahoma. And USC is – that could go either way. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, you know, if they beat Tulsa, beat USC, a little momentum. But I guess what I'm saying is this is kind of uh, – it's kind of like one of those shopping carts that the wheels are bad. <laughs> you better you better make sure that it doesn't roll into the to the produce cart and knock all the oranges off the off the stand. You know what I mean? <laughs> you better figure this out in a hurry because people are going to start to re- – I think internally – the players are going to really start to get tense, and they're going to start to hear a lot of negativity that could be really bad. All right, I want to uh, get to the Week 2 games. Well, some of the Week 2 games because it's kind of a weak schedule with a lot of teams playing the cupcakes right now. But I got one more team to, that I want to get into here before we get into Week 2. Boston College. Now, this might be a little under the radar for some people, but Steve Adazio finally has a Steve Adazio roster. 
And and I'm not. Do you understand what I'm what I yeah, mean by that, Chris? Yeah. He's got players that fit his style now, and Boston College, looking at their schedule, which isn't really that difficult. You know, they could be six and zero, maybe seven and zero by the time that we're, we're headed to week seven or week eight of this season. I think Boston College could be ready to take a step up this year. It wouldn't surprise me if they finished second ahead of Florida State in the Atlantic. You know, they're in the same division as Clemson, so that's difficult. But I'm with you. Um, Not only is Steve Adazio underrated and unheralded as a coach, those defenses have been solid. They're they're a lot like, you know, some of what you see, not maybe quite as talented year in and year out, but a lot of what you see at Virginia Tech, a lot of what you see at Northwestern, same type of concept, physical on defense, you're, you're going to feel it after you play them. You don't get anything on them. You know, they, it is tough to play them. And they got a great running back. A.J. Dillon is a great yes. running back. Folks, let me repeat that. A.J. Dillon, great running back. You, you don't know who he is. Learn his name. You better learn it because he is a big-time player. So, no, I think this team is really good. Um, you know, I, I think they've got it. You're right. Their chances are very good. Because you go to Wake, you go to Purdue, those are winnable games. Temple, tough start for them against Villanova this past NC State. I mean, you're absolutely correct. Uh, it is very positive you, that they could be, dare I say, 7-0. and That's what I, I said. I don't want to jinx yeah. them. But 7-0 <laughs> going into the bye, having to play Miami, good luck. And I've said this before. And, of course, if they're really that good and play out that way, this is not going to play out the way I thought. But if, if BC were to lose, drop a game or two, because they're thin, they can't uh, you know overcome some of the injuries. I said it all along. If you're looking for a game that's the most losable for Clemson, it's November 10th in Chestnut Hill, particularly if it's a noon kickoff, yeah. that, that, that Clemson's in trouble because BC will play them, and Clemson, that may be the game that they just are not quite there. But – the way this is heading, BC is going to be really good, and that's going to be one of the prime games of the weekend. And, um, you know, Clemson will certainly be prepared for it. But, no, I'm I'm with you. I think they're really good. They're very talented. And they've got some, the tight end, Tommy Sweeney, is as good a tight end as there mm-hmm. is in the conference. Uh, Chris Lingstrom is one of the best offensive linemen in the league. Um, and defensively, they're loaded with really just good players that are physical and, again, do a great job with their run fits. And they do a great job of getting good pressure. Um, good, good football team. Well, I want to get into the games this weekend, Chris. And there's not, I said there's not that many great ones. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pick one game that I'm focused in on. Then you could pick a game. Then I'll pick a game. Then you pick a game. Let's go with four games here this weekend in week two that we're going to keep an eye on. Because, like I said, a lot of the top 25 teams, they're playing nobody. You know, Alabama faces Arkansas State, right? Notre Dame against Ball State. We're talking about just it's just weak opponents up and down the schedule. Washington against North Dakota. West Virginia faces Youngstown. So we don't even have to bother with with those games. But the first game that I'm going to pick out and circle is Georgia-South Carolina. This game is in Columbia. Now, why could this game be the hiccup on the schedule for the Georgia Bulldogs? Well, it, it could be for this reason in that it's earlier in the season, and while Georgia has more talent, South Carolina is going to be fresher, and Sands injuries, 
that would likely be the case if this game were played in week seven or eight. Uh, and it is uh, obviously uh, at South Carolina, which williams Bryce is just uh, an unbelievable place to play. It is one of the more raucous places for a school that's won one, one conference championship. That's 1969 in the ACC. Uh, this is a great atmosphere. They're going to be just lit up with excitement. Uh, and this is a talented team. Debo Samuel's back. Jake Bentley played well. They, they seem like they found a running back. So Georgia's the better team, more talented. I think they'll, they'll win it. But emotion, quick start, cause some turnovers, fresh team. Um, South Carolina, lots expected of them. They've always disappointed in big moments. This is another chance. And not many people know that William Bryce Stadium was the stadium location for the ESU Timberwolves in the movie The Program. That's where You know, I didn't know that. Pri- in fact, I didn't yeah. even really see the show. Primary uh, filming took place uh, at William Bryce. And if you look carefully, there's actually an SEC banner that is hanging around in the background. I guess they didn't uh, cover up all the signs, if you will, in that movie. But uh, they, got, they got these great little... For the tailgaters, it, it really is, a again, for a place that you don't look at, tradi- not a traditional SEC school, mm-hmm. you know, not a, one of the originals, came in, obviously, in the early 90s, but, you know, they got the cockaboose, they've got these 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 train cars um, that they've they've converted into, like, um, like tailgating uh, places. Right? I mean, That's it's just, cool. It's just really cool, and it has a flavor to it, and when I'm telling you, uh, they have not ever won anything big there and they support it that is a great fan base they're not spoiled by any uh, stretch of the imagination a lot of good players have come because we've seen Lou Holtz coach mm-hmm. there we've seen Steve Spurrier coach there and uh, we've seen good you know good players you know Dan Reeves played there and George Rogers won a Heisman Trophy and Sterling Sharp there and uh, Mark D'Antonio who's a Michigan State guy went to school at South Carolina a lot of good history there um, but, you know, and there was a great year that Joe Morrison had one year when they were ranked top five in the country in, in, in both South, the, the South Carolina Clemson game was the best ever that year because mm. they both were in the top five. Uh, they just have fallen short. And a lot of people thought they had their chance when Tennessee, Florida and Georgia was all spitting the bit. They couldn't get it done. So they, now they're trying to see, can we challenge and the hype is going to get bigger and bigger if they're able to pull off this upset. What's another game you're focusing in on this weekend? You know, I think USC Stanford's going to be yeah. intriguing out west. Is this Stanford team, boy, San Diego State did a great job against Bryce Love. Oh, but, the, but you, they, they couldn't stop the pass, though. No, but that, that's the thing. When you overload the box, it created one-on-one matchups. And, boy, did Stanford take advantage of it. And I thought they found something in that game. And it's ironic. And maybe Bryce Love uh, is uh, Heisman, uh, you know, uh, thoughts go out the window. But, boy, I think this makes their team a lot better because what's going to happen is they're going to become more of a factor in the passing game. Uh, I thought they made some big-time plays. And I want to see with USC. USC did not play well against UNLV. They looked at the tape. Young quarterback. Um, I don't think this is a dominant Stanford defense. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see how this plays out um, and the consistency issue with USC. That's another team that, from a coaching standpoint, it's a little bit you know, lacking there. The Stanford team is good. But they're not great. I still think the best team in the Pac-12 may be that Washington team that we saw lose to Auburn. Yeah. I don't think there's a great team in the Pac-12. I don't see a team that's maybe good enough to make the playoffs. We'll see. I could be wrong on that. 
But this game is going to tell a lot in the early season schedule within league play. Uh, the next game that I'm going to go to, Chris, Texas A&M hosting number two Clemson. Uh, the Jimbo Fisher era got off to a really good start with their season opening game. Uh, Travion Williams, 240 rushing yards in that game with three touchdowns. Uh, Clemson's still going to go with this two quarterback attack, and I guess that that's what you know. I don't see uh, <laughs> I don't see Dabo Sweeney ripping any reporters for asking him about Kelly Bryant and no, what he's no. going to do at the quarterback like Nick Saban is. But uh, I think this is a real test for for Clemson on the road. Well, it is, and a lot of people say, "Well, it's in College Station," and you know the reality is one of speaking of great atmospheres. This is another one that's come into the league that has a great feel. Um, if you haven't been to College Station, Texas for a game, it is unbelievable. And since they've expanded the stadium, even more so. But, you know, it's not like, you know, people can't go in there and win. Historically, uh, people have been able to do that. Uh, that's a program that's never really done much, but they're, they have such great desire to do so and put the resources to do that. Um, this would be a remarkable win. It doesn't happen unless Clemson is off their mark. Clemson has one of those games that we talk about. This is not one of them. They're going into A&M. It's a big-time stage. This is not the type of game in which Clemson underachieves, in my opinion. I think they play well. I think that this will kind of show where Clemson is and where Texas A&M wants to be. So that's how I think the game will play out. Uh, But I do think, Jimbo, I already see in terms of attitude, direction, focus, toughness, energy, uh, discipline, I already see some improvement in A&M. And by the way, just for those that may not follow it, we talked about the Texas problem. The, you know what Texas' biggest problem is, besides the on the field, is Oklahoma and Texas A&M are kicking their rear end yeah, in recruiting. recruiting. Yep. Now, now, Texas is still having like a top 10, 12 class. A&M is recruiting like Georgia and Alabama. So the future is really good in College Station I just don't know that the future is going to be ready this weekend. You got one final game you're keeping an I eye on? I do. I'm going to split it and, and just say I want to see Michigan State did talk about protection problems. They did a poor job in week one. I'm curious to see um, what they do. Arizona State, Herm Edwards, Texas San Antonio, they played well. Watch that game and late night action is going to be a lot of fun. But I do think that Nebraska may be more intrigued because – we didn't see their didn't play, play, Akron. Yeah. This Colorado team, Steven Montez, moved that offense well. Uh, this is kind of the old Big 8 matchup that, you know, is now Pac-12, Big 10. Yes. But it, to me, you know, this is another case. Adrian Martinez didn't get a chance to play against Akron, get his first game. It's going to be quite a test. So uh, the great uh, fans, and boy, they are great fans at, uh, at, at Nebraska. That's by, I keep talking about bucket list, folks. If you got a whole bunch of them. Nebraska's, Scott, Nebraska has the classiest, most um, genial fans ever. Mm-hmm. I, I've never seen <laughs> how many how many fan bases have you ever seen clap for the opponent after the game's over? Wow. Not many, it's, it's just, especially they, not in New York. <laughs> they, no, 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 no. Forget about it. No, no. But, but they, and they've had a sellout. The last time they've not had a sellout, John F. Kennedy was president there. Whew. So they, they just, they love it. They live it. And they got their, their own son coming back there. And they were just got all dressed up 
everybody in their Saturday night best, and it was rained out last week. So <laughs> they're going to be re- really at a fever pitch, and it's going to be fun to watch. And I'm, I'm, uh, it's going to be a game that's going to be uh, uh, interesting to see. Kind of neither one of these programs are going to have a great year, but I think both can go bowling. And it's a big game for them. And and uh, Nebraska wanted to play that game on Sunday. Akron said no. So. Yeah, you know, and, and one of those things that are tough is, and I don't know this to be the case, is, and people say, and I said the same thing, well, that would have been a great to watch on, on Sunday in the, in the afternoon, right? Mm-hmm. And it would have been. But you don't know. It's like, can I don't, and I, I'm not saying they couldn't, but could they get hotel rooms? Yeah, it's a logistical problem. You know, so could, probably could not. You do yeah. that? I mean, things like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, they checked out. Do they have enough rooms? Do they have to get? But I'm, I'm with you. I would have uh, would have loved to have seen it. And by the way, I think that that needs to be something that is aided in some of these processes. That you know, when you have that, because Scott, how many games for goodness sake? Like four did we or have five this by? past weekend. Oh my God, there were like thirteen or fourteen. Oh, I even mean, more there, than that. <laughs> yes, there were like. I mean, now not some of them was only like a half twenty minute yeah, delay. Yeah. No, but, it seemed I mean, like every game there was a little oh, delay. You're watching it. You're, I'm watching. I'm flipping through the channels, and it's you know Ohio State's in a delay. Then yes. you Penn State's in a delay. Then it's all in these a teams, delay. Yeah. I mean, it was everything because I'm watching games, and it's bad weather at my place. All throughout the South is bad weather. Mm-hmm. In Nebraska, it's bad weather. You call up in Illinois, it's bad weather. It was just it, we seem to have more bad weather. There's a storm coming in the Gulf Coast. You know, uh, bring a lot. There's just a in late August, early September. There's a lot of it. So. I think there needs to be more contingency plans, particularly on Labor Day weekend where schools are out. You know, maybe we can have some of these games. We need to figure that out. That's something that a college football commissioner could jump in and help because I'm with you. That That's going to cost Nebraska. Maybe it, if they can't make that game up, maybe it prevents them from getting into a bowl game. Yeah. You know, um, it, it prevents Akron a chance to, to play. And, and Akron doesn't get, I don't know this, I don't think they, they don't get their full money. They get no, they get partial of, money. They yeah. get a partial money, for, but you know, so yeah, it would be good if they can figure out how to make those things happen because it seems like it is a regular occurrence every f- first couple of weeks in the September. Stop making sense, Chris. Hey, the folks <laughs> at LandryFootball.com want you to join their family this football season. Get in on all the inside information and analysis on the college and pro game from film room breakdowns to all the latest inside information, recruiting, draft, coaching news, all this and more. And each Tuesday and Thursday, you catch the Landry Football Podcast. And each Wednesday, you catch new episodes of this Rush the Field College Football Podcast with myself and Chris Landry. All both of them, you got to listen to these shows because if you're a football fan, you're going to absolutely love both of those podcasts. So check out LandryFootball.com today and you get their best season membership package ever. For less than a magazine subscription, you have access to the insights of veteran coach and scout Chris Landry. You tell them where you heard this to receive the best membership package available. Chris, what can we find on LandryFootball.com this week? Right now, a lot of film room reviews from week one. So what we do is we take kind of a film room glance, take every major conference, either some of the, uh, the group of five conferences and tell you what we see then we go down get into the film and right now we've got gosh over 20 of them broken down uh so check out your favorite team easy to click and find your favorite team look at the film room review get a feel for how things may uh you know jump forward to this next week so uh we'll do that all throughout the season obviously if you're an nfl fan we have that as well but we love the college game and really delve down into it, give you a lot of draft information, a lot of players to watch in key games each week. And then, of course, all the previews of all the games, and we'll 
have those starting as we get towards midweek and the end of the week. All of the games that we just talked about here and many more we're going to break down inside the firm. I'm tell you how we think it might play out. It's nothing better than Saturdays in the fall, but uh, we love preparing you for those Saturdays in the fall. So check us out at LandryFootball.com. Follow me on Twitter at LandryFootball for all the latest. Oh, absolutely. And I love those film room previews because they help me make my picks because I, I went 4-2 and two in my picks this weekend, and it was a lot of a lot help because of the – LandryFootball.com film room previews. Well, so I'm you, sorry about yeah. the two. Well, listen, one of the losses was Wisconsin, who was a 35-point favorite, and they yeah. won by 31, Chris. Yeah, no, so, And they settled good. for two field goals. So I'm not going to blame them. One of those field goals turns into a touchdown. They cover the 35. I'm not angry. The other the other loss was Texas, and that just embarrasses me because I'm embarrassed for myself that I, that I actually took Texas in that game against Maryland. <laughs> I, I'm having the hook them down <laughs> downward sign right now. Well, so the T-Sippers have got a lot of work to do. Well, you follow Chris on Twitter at Landry Football. Follow me, Scott Seidenberg, on Twitter at Scott's On Air. This has been Rush the Field, which can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Don't forget to subscribe, send a little rating, and enjoy future episodes as well. Chris, enjoy week two. We'll talk next week. Thank you, buddy. This is a Crush Performance Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Roughly 25% of the supplements on the market right now contain something that's not on the label that will cause a positive test. Proceed with caution. The supplement industry might be one of the scariest industries on the planet because it's so unregulated. So I'm loving this. Right now, of course, those supplements are readily available in North America, Canada, and the U.S., but very, very difficult to get outside the borders. So Major League Baseball is going to team up to help these organizations, these player development organizations, get their hands on these supplements. Love it. And MLB will use those trainers who are part of the program as sort of a sounding board, a collective as to how we should move forward in the best way possible. This is so great for the game. And I hope this resonates with other sports. I really think that's what's going to happen here, uh, just bringing the game together. And could it lead to an international draft? I think it would be better for the players. I think it'd certainly be better for the organizations. And I think, you know, in terms of overall player development, I think we would actually see a higher level of baseball player coming into the game if there was a draft. Some of these kids sign young. They're not ready. Most of the teams are pretty good with how they manage these young players, but boy, oh boy, if we could steal a couple more years of development before we throw them into the fire, that would be fantastic. So we're watching this story with great interest, a brand new breaking story that I just think reeks of where sport is going these days, and it's really, really, really good. Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell, can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.